Psalms 89. Yeah. I will sing, and I won't stop singing. I'm not going to back off, and I'm not going to turn away from the Lord. not quit and we don't back away and you said this Ethan the Ezra Wright said this he said I will sing continually about the Lord's faithfulness just faithfulness as an intrinsic quality but his faithful deeds was an extrinsic life I'm gonna sing continually of the faithful deeds to future generations I'm gonna proclaim your faithfulness Lord Paul said it he said the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful and he says Loyal love is permanently established. If you could have anything, wouldn't you want to be completely loyal and filled with God's love? If you could have two qualities that would never depart out of your soul, I would want, and he says it is, present tense, permanently established. The loyal love is permanent in my soul. And in the skies, you've set up your faithfulness, Lord. The Lord said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have made a promise on oath uh, to David, my servant. I'll give you an eternal dynasty and establish your throne throughout future generations. And so the Lord is going to keep good on his covenant. Like even in this hour, in the middle of a, a democracy in the United States of America, and then other systems like tyranny, fascism, communism, the worldwide systems, the Lord is going to keep good on his promise to the people, his people, that he's going to establish dynastic rule through what he promised to David, the Abrahamic covenant that he made. All the governments of this world are going to shift into monarchical rule with the one king who rules over all and governs everything he's in charge everything has to come into alignment with him and here we are representatives of that government and that government is built off of loyal love and is faithful it's not going to let you down it's an eternal dynasty 
for every generation from now and all generations to come. Even the heavens praise you, Lord. As well as the faithfulness that's in the angelic assembly even now. Stand, could y'all stand with me? Who in the skies, who of the heavens and of the earth compares to you, Lord? Who is like you among even all the heavenly beings? Oh God, who is honored in the great angelic assembly and more awesome than all that surround him. Oh Lord. You're sovereign. Who is strong like you, O oh Lord? Faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the proud sea, and when its waves surge up, you calm them. You've crushed the proud one and killed it, and with your strong arm, you've scattered your enemies. We say that the heaven belongs to you, Lord, as does the earth. You made the world and all it contains. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Herman, rejoice in your name. Your arm is powerful. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is victorious. You're equitable and just. That's the foundation of your throne. Loyal love and faithfulness characterize your rule. We are the blessed ones that worship you now, Lord. Blessed is your name, Lord. Bless the Lord with me, all you servants of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord.
Mercy. 
to the sum of all our days is to love you.
chapter 2 verse 5 for he did not put the world to come about which we are speaking under the control of angels instead someone testified somewhere what is man that you think of him or the son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the angels for a little while and crowned him with glory and honor you put all things under his control. For when he put all things under his control, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see all things under his control. 
Now listen, listen. But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. Open your eyes. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. see you, Lord, not my circumstance, Lord, not my past, Lord, not my future, Lord, but I see you, Jesus, up into the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to intercede for us, but I see Jesus. about Jesus saying this about his father again again I will be confident in him here I am we've been confident before Jesus has been confident before 
then he says again, again I will be confident in him. I was asking the Lord to just be real frank. I was like, what are we experiencing in this set today? And he said, you're experiencing um, liminality. Y'all know this word? Liminal? You ever heard that word? Anybody? Liminality? I had to look it up. <laughs> it's an anthropological term. Um, it, it has the meaning of threshold. And it's a it, it has a quality of ambiguity and disorientation. Uh, you know, and sometimes in our Christian life, we would think that there, you know, we wouldn't become disoriented or have a place of ambiguity, and that God wouldn't allow something like that. That He would just make everything clear for us. And then he's like, now go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. And again, I will say, I will be confident. So anytime disorientation comes, uh, in a, in the, uh, as an aviator, we call that spatial disorientation. Anytime you get spatially disoriented, especially in a cockpit, you know, one thing they tell us all the time is like, trust your instruments. Like, uh, because you can get spatially disoriented in a cloud and you don't know which way's up. I mean, you can put a plane in the ground like that. So the Holy Spirit is, is real clear, like, like you're at a place of liminality. You're, play, you're at a place of threshold, which is at a, a place where you can feel that is ambiguous, like you can't make sense of something or you feel disoriented. So that's our experience according to the Spirit of God. Uh, in this set this morning and yet he says again <laughs> again well, I've been spatially disoriented before well again I will say my confidence is in you it, uh, liminality is a place of rite of passage 
it means that you don't hold your pre-right uh, status that you've held for a period of time. You're not going to hold that status anymore. You're going to receive a new status. And that can be very uncomfortable because we are known in a certain uh, capacity within ourselves. And so you begin to move into a new a sense of yourself and it feel very, uh, how do I work with this person, this new? Right before that, he told me, because I, I, I don't really understand sometimes what the Spirit of God is saying, but I do the best I can. He's like, I'm wanting to take your dust and make it gold. So we're at a place of liminality. We're at a place of tra uh, transformation, transfiguration, transition, metamorphosis, trislicks. Because it's not yet appeared who you are. Yes, Lord, I'm listening to you, Lord. Very sensitive to the Spirit. Just moving around. Trust me, trust me. It's in your confidence and trust in the stillness. place where you have to, the place of the vacuum, the place of the vacancy, it's the place of liminality, you, you've got to become who you're meant to be in him, you have to, you got to make a transition, you got to have this metamorphosis, you have to, where, where you've been and what's characterized your past is not going to be able to characterize you anymore. If you have to make a change. The world system is trying to bring this out right now. And God's, they know something's got to change. God says it's got to change for you.
dust or gold, which one will you have? having this morning, but also a phenomenon. Have you ever just been standing and looking at the clouds, not really any deep thought, and suddenly you hear the voice of the Lord sublimating in you, sowing a truth that is eternal. It's about who you are. And, uh, and um, so this dream, I'm standing uh, on a the cross rock between the back deck into the garden when I look down and my feet are in a stream and it's running from the house to the garden and this is like a passage area but it's a stream only in real life it's a pallet so I was like a kid you know how a kid will stand on a little yard pool and they'll put their foot on the edge so the water goes out if you have kids they do that um so I was doing that, and the Lord said, no, put your foot all the way out. And then I said, well, nothing's happening. He says, how about you put the other foot out? <laughs> Which required me to turn. And then he was, he was, as I was turning, I was hearing the voice calling into the subliminal, subliminal messaging we've had for eternity. God has named us. He's known us. There's a who we are, and he's inviting us into it. And so it's our name, so sing more. <laughs> um, it's who we are. It's the subliminal, and I don't know when it turns. That, so the water 
began pouring out from this flat place from the house to the garden. How secure can you get? Into this rocky, kind of barren, useless field. And he says, yeah, I love that land. And he was just speaking to me the quality of God's love for us. And that there is that going, as Stephen mentioned, it going out to the uh, overflow your banks and that phenomenon. And I'm sorry if I'm going too long. That, uh, that uh, Ezekiel thing where the water starts coming out under the door. And so there's a quality of, uh, Phil was praying, that open your gates, let the water come out, spill over. It's past your threshold. And that was a quality of, I was aware that the edge of this was a threshold. And I'm like, oh no. So step over the threshold, listen to the subliminal messages he's eliminating with us. Subliminal means the, uh, a stimulus or mental process below the threshold of sensation or consciousness perceived by or affecting someone's mind without them actually being aware of it. studied a whole lot of math of limits liminal is limits it's an asymptote it's the limit of something right and God is unlimited in him we have no limits so when we reach that limit we have to let go of the things that tether us to the old and reconsolidate on the other side of the limit where he is unlimited in him we have no limits
Hebrews 10, for the law possesses a shadow of the good things to come, but it's not the reality itself, and is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. For otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers would have been purified? Once for all. And so have no further consciousness of sin. If this is what you want, Holy Spirit, and it is what you want, we want to agree with you. All the subliminal messaging out, Lord. You want all the subliminal message seeing of a consciousness of sin out, Lord. This can only be come from looking at you, Lord. Perfect your life in us, Lord. Make us holy, Lord. Take out all the interferences, Lord. by the mercies of God present your body give your whole body to him sacrifice an offering he doesn't want he wants you alive I thought this was going to kill me Lord you alive I want you I want you breathing I want you holy
You're the pleasure of the Lord. It's the most reasonable service you can offer. Alive. Holy. The pleasure of the Godhead. It's the most reasonable there is. The most reasonable service.
Have mercy on me, God, because of your loyal love, because of your great compassion. Wipe away all my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoing. Cleanse me of my sin. For I am aware of my rebellious acts. I am forever being conscious of my sin. Against you, you above all, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner. The moment of my mother conceived me. Look, you desire integrity in the inner man, and you want me to possess wisdom. Sprinkle me with water, and I will be pure. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilt. Create for me a pure heart. Oh, God, renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. and Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Then I will teach rebels your merciful ways, and sinners will turn to you. Rescue me from the guilt of murder, O God, the God who delivers me. Then my tongue will shout for joy because of your deliverance. O Lord, give me the words, then my mouth will praise you. Certainly, you do not want a sacrifice, or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. The sacrifice God desires are a humble spirit. Oh God, a humble and repentant heart, you will not reject. Because you favor Zion, do what is good for her. Fortify the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will accept the proper sacrifices, burnt sacrifices, and whole offerings. Then bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. Then. Amen. Good morning. <laughs> you know, I've jokingly said before, if Paul said, if I lose my mind is for God, but if I find it is for you. So I was trying to find it. But after getting a subliminal block, I didn't know if I could find it again. <laughs> but, you know, having a subliminal block would probably be cool. I, the Lord said he wants to give that to his people. And I said, well, let's just have subliminal blocks then to block out all the RF and all the other frequencies that are trying to you know, interfere with what the voice of the Lord is saying to his people in this hour. Y'all know what I mean when everything is trying to invade your atmosphere and change the narrative and put a narrative in place that isn't the narrative that the, the Father has concerning your life. He's basing it on some narrative that's probably past and it's guilt-based or he's future tense trying to put a narrative in place 
that's shame-based. What are we going to do about this? How am I going to take care of that, right? And then he says, here I am. I've come in to do the will of the one that sent me, the one who's written a scroll concerning me. And just like him, so are you in this world. And so there's a written document concerning your life, and it has a, a blueprint or a narrative that the Father has ordained concerning you. And so a lot of other narrative maybe has nothing to do with you. And it, as you found as a believer, it's constantly a reconnection to the narrative of the Father because he's the God of his story. My daughter uh, Elizabeth one day and I was walking and she said, you know, my generation is really about, and I'm paraphrasing her, but she said, my generation is really about saying this is my narrative, this is the way my life plays out. No one else can interfere with that. No one else is going to tell me, you know, my story. So I, I won't allow a meta-narrative or a, a narrative uh, to interfere with my life. And she told me, she said, the trouble with that is, is everybody's picking basically the identity of themselves, and then they're going with their own sense of identity, and then it leaves them, a lot of them, she said, it just leaves them high and dry because they don't really, they're, they're selecting what is best for them and thinking that that's going to somehow get them somewhere, and then they, they find out that uh, they don't really like themselves, and, you know, or other people don't like them, and, and you see this whole closed-down kind of thing. Because God, God designed us not to try to go and be someone else's narrative or to reject a narrative. God made you and I for his narrative, right? Uh, his story. And um, one of the words that I'm throwing around a little bit because actually I've got these shoes because they, they're called Teva's. And Teva means anything that's not made with man's hands. Because God said that he would come and what? Dwell in a temple what? And do you see what I mean? If we're pulling a narrative that's saying, and a lot of people do this based out of jealousy, I want your narrative because your narrative will somehow make me who I'm supposed to be. I'll take your narrative. And then the other side of it is, to reject all narrative structure, I, I throw out the narrative, you know, whatever goes, and, you know, to each their own kind of thing, right? And then the Lord said, I can't dwell in that. I want you to come and put your hands behind your back. Let me tell your narrative. Instead of meta-narrative, I like to call it Teva-narrative. Let me be the God who decides. And I think a lot of our faith that... Faith is a title deed hope for. It's the objective proof of an unseen reality. A lot of what's going on is we are trying to integrate as believers with a narrative of the Father that is outside of space-time and integrate with that in, into now. And I don't think a lot of believers are uh, God's people are so much trying. He tells me this. They're not so much trying to reject my narrative. Many of them don't even know how to interact with me. Because as father, he has a particular mode in which he relates to us. And, and some people don't like that. He relates to us by the person of Jesus Christ 
by the Holy Spirit. And so he has one way of doing things, and it's just that way. I, I was on the back of an airplane and sitting in, uh, in the back in the coach class. Like, you know, I always like to ride on a, yeah, an F-86 Sabre jet, if y'all know what that is, Korean War aircraft. It has the air intake right in the front, and it's basically the pilot is literally like straddling a, a turbojet engine. But that's not what I was doing, even though I'd really like to. Um, but I was in the back of the airplane. We were coming out of Nepal, India, and um, I was reading N.T. Wright. I don't know if y'all know who N.T. Wright is on Paul. And I, I had it open because I was in seminary. I was reading it, and this guy, he's looking over my shoulder. And I, on one page, it had the gospel on it. And I thought, I'm just going to highlight the, the gospel with my highlighter. I wasn't necessarily highlighting those sections, but I thought, I'll highlight the gospel. And uh, the guy's reading I'm sure he's reading the highlighted portions because, you know, it catches your attention. And uh, he taps me on the shoulder and said, my name is Rudy. I'd like for, could I read your book? And I said, uh, sure. I said, I'm going to finish up here. I, gotta, I needed to finish highlighting some stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to hand him the book. And so Rudy uh, takes the book. Now, Rudy had been, I didn't know his name until he introduced himself, but he was up in first class. And there was a, a, a Hindu lady that was sitting between me and another man, and I think she felt really uncomfortable being between two males. And so she goes to the front of first class and asks this other, he's a Hindu Sikh, ask him if he would come to the back of coach. And because of his morality, he did it. I mean, even he has this morality that tells him to give up his seat for the lady who's in the back because she doesn't feel comfortable being between two men to go to the front of first class so that she could be in first class, take his ticket basically that he paid for, and he comes to the back, and now he's sitting between me and the other guys. So there's three guys sitting there, right? And um, he looks at me, and he says something. He says something to the effect like this. He says, I... He's reading the book. He said, well, Christianity is no different than my, my religion, isn't it? And, and I said, it's the same thing. He said, we all have to climb that mountain, you know, and, um, you know, get better. And it's really good to hear comparative religion sometimes because in comparative religion, you hear what kind of thinking they have, and then you can make a comparison to what's different about what we have going on and what they have going on. And then I asked him a question. I, I said, how's it working out for you? He said, be honest, it's not going very good. And I thought, this guy's moralistically honest. You know, no, it's going great, man. You know, that, right, lying through their teeth. You know, all those guys, like, I talked to him. How you doing? I'm living the dream. No, you're not. <laughs> if you don't know the Lord, you're not. You're just putting off some kind of persona to make yourself look good because, you know, you feel that thing that males do, right? <laughs> Living the dream, man. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so anyways, he's, he's back there. He tells the truth, and he says, I was like, things aren't going good for my daughter. I think he had a daughter or a son and my wife. You know, I'm really having a hard time with her. He said, man, it just I keep trying to get better, and, and, it, and it never does work. And, and he said, but, you know, Christianity is the same way. And I said, no, it's not. 
He said, how so? Because, I mean, he thought that Christianity was comparable to him. I said, how, he said, how so? And I said, our God came down the mountain. And he said, well, you know, there's many ways. This is what he said. There are many ways to God. And I said, no, there's not. I was like, there's only one way to the Father, and it's the man Jesus Christ. And man, as you all know, if you've ever done this, a wall, like, it, was, it must have been 14 feet thick of concrete. goes erect. I mean, we were buddies. Everything was going good until I said, Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And all of a sudden, it was, it's just as thick as, you know, and I haven't been really good with understanding people, but I felt that. <laughs> and he got mad. And I was like, there's just no way, other way around it. I, I'm not going to. He said, how, can you, how dare you say something like that? I said, it's not me. It's, it's what the word of God says. And I'm not going to back off on it for you or for nobody else. I'm not. I'm not changing my position right here. Rudy's 67-year-old Hindu Sikh seeking God his whole life. And I, I asked him a question. I said, can I pray for you? And, you know, of course, I'm not expecting, honestly, I don't know if y'all, and I pray for you. It's, it's so weird. I've, I've been like this a lot, you know. I'm not even expecting God to do anything. I'm not expecting God to do a thing. And. I laid my hand on his arm and I said, Lord, would you reveal Jesus to him? And I, I kid you not, it's like a lightning bolt hit the top of my head, went through my hand and hits his arm and he goes, ha! And he says this, Jesus is the only way to the Father. And instantly the dove comes down and saves him right there on the spot. Converts him just like that. His tears are pouring out of his eyes. He said, Carol, for 67 years I've sought this God. And again, I will say, my confidence is in you. Again. Right? Again. I've sought for him my whole life, and now he's found me. It matters, church. It matters that all your confidence is in him. He demonstrates like that. He demonstrates himself off the confidence of someone that believes him and trusts him and says, my whole self, I believe you, I trust you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. You heard me say last week that it is the Father's predilection, the Holy Spirit said this to me, is your double predestination. The Father predilected you means to choose you in advance for himself that you would doubly know. You know, the old saints called it the double blessing. Anybody familiar with that? I studied them. The holiness movement. The Pentecostal movement, they called it the double. It was this, it was this place of being sanctified or be, being known 
being deeply known, a double predestination, a deep knowing in the human heart, it just settles everything for good. It was my predilection, the Father, he said, by the Holy Spirit to me, it was my choosing you in advance apart from works. That you would know doubly so and be completely stabilized in your human heart that I wanted you and that I am going to take care of everything. It is, it is my predilection to doubly predestinate you to glory. I want you to know that as far as the east is from the west, you are mine. I will say, I will say again that my confidence is in him. I will say it again. I've said it a lot, and so have you. The deeper stabilization. He wants this found in us. He's finding himself in us to be known in him. And nothing can stabilize you. Nothing. There is nothing that is going to stabilize you more than him. Himself. Him himself. He is, he's our God. In 2 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul is going to describe this greater glory. The Spirit's ministry. And he says, but if the ministry that produced death carved in letters on stone tablets. If it came with a glory, if it came with glory, so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, a glory which was made ineffective, how much more glorious would the ministry of the Spirit be? Do you know what? That almost seems to me to be incomprehensible. Moses comes down off a mountain. He had went up a mountain. Moses goes up there. He encounters the glory. Lord, show me your glory. Reveal to me your face. Moses comes down. His face shines so bright that he has to put a veil over it. How many men and women today have you seen going around with their sh face shining? Literally. Think about, just think about this because, how do I put this? Just because we haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not real. Thank you. Blessed is he that has seen, has, believes and has not seen. If that glory was that great, that the man's face shone, that he had to put a veil over. And then Paul says this crazy thing. Now, I read this when the Lord put this on to me this last week, last couple of weeks. I was like, I mean, if, if you're saying about Moses, if you're saying that Moses in Hebrews, it says about Moses, it says that he was a servant in my house, and he declared those things which are to come. He, he prophesied the future. And you're saying he's a servant in his house, but he says about Jesus that he's a son over my house. If Moses is that great, 
And he can prophesy the future. That he, one of the greatest ministries, he's got a two million person congregation or more. And Moses is that great. Then he says the ministry of the Spirit comes with greater glory. Then we must not back off. Right, church? Why? Because this has, this is, uh, I believe, I was telling Susanna this more, I believe in the authority of Scripture and its literacy. And liter- literacy, however you say that. I, I believe in it. I trust in it. I trust that this word is true. And so if it is true, and that glory was made of ineffective, he put a veil over his face, how much more greater shall be the glory? The ministry of the Spirit is even greater. For if there was a glory that in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? I know it's spelled, you know, E-X-C-E-L. But all I think is accelerate. <laughs> you know, I like to go fast. How much, how much, how much superior is it? I just want to testify this. I know this from the Lord. This greater glory, the great glory, it's upon us. This greater glory is what he has longed for in the end of the age. uh, They're right now. They're right now. The great cloud of witnesses, they're waiting like right now, like never before. For the greatest display and greatest showdown of the glory of God that the earth has ever even witnessed. The greater glory, the ministry of the Spirit. What had been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendously greater glory of what replaced it. For if what had been made effective came with glory... In effect, excuse me, came with glory. You got to get this because this is where he really highlighted this to me. And I, this is the basis of my um, preaching, especially since last week and then today. For if what had been made ineffective came with glory, how much more has what, listen to this word, remained, come in glory. So if something was, had come glory past tense, okay, if it came with glory, okay, we recognize that it came with glory, but it became ineffective. That means that it's not effective because it came. It was something based out of the past. If it came with glory, and we recognize that it did, yes, that it did, what is the greater glory? What is it? Uh, Paul tells us, how much more has what remains come in glory? Do you see the difference? One comes and one is. You see it? You see it? One was in the past and one is now. When we first started here, we were up here, hour and 45 minutes it took us to break through and worship. I was about to take communion, 
And I wasn't even going to preach because I was in such despair. I was over here, and the, and the Lord speaks to me. He says, um, remember John Wesley Redfield? And I said, yes. He said, remember when he was at that chasm? I was like, right. He said, remember, remember what the old preacher told him? I said, yeah. He said to him, believe that you've received it, and you have. Believe that you've received now. He said uh, he was struggling with that because it seemed so presumptuous or so like, okay, well, how can I receive something I'm not experiencing? How can I claim something that is not, in fact, a reality to me right now? How can I say that? And, and Wesley Redfield was, he tells this story about being at a liminal place, and there's this great chasm that goes across, and he said his heart says, I believe you now. And then all of a sudden, Redfield goes across the chasm, and he's in the arms of the Lord, and he's like, oh, oh, the love of God. He said the enemy comes and whispers in his ear, he said, won't last three seconds. Boom, he's back on the other side. And there's this back and forth thing going on with Redfield, with the Lord, and the enemy, and his thoughts, and his processing, and the way he thinks about things, and I was up here, and uh, we were in Philippians 3, and I looked down at the text, and it says, and this is the standard that you've already attained. And I didn't read it like, and this is the standard that you've already attained. I read it, and this is the standard, comma, that you've already attained. And as soon as my... As soon as that hit me, Redfield's statement and the scripture, as soon as I did, I was up here. The spirit bore witness immediately, and the presence of God breaks out in our midst. Because it wasn't something that was coming or something that came, but it was something that is. Do you see? Do you see why the Lord would say that it's the Father's predilection? The Father's predilection is your double predestination? This deep knowing in the human heart, nothing can shake it. Again, I will say, again, I will say that my confidence is in you. Do you see what the enemy's been fighting for? I hate him. And I hate my own predilection towards things and objects and objections. Because I want my heart, and he wants our heart. So set on him that nothing can interfere with it. Do you understand? He longs for this union. A union that is unshakable. That is indestructible. And all I know to say is, all I know, all I know is what the text says. And what he says to me time and time again. Look at me. Yeah, but, no, stop it. Look at me. But I feel like everything around me is coming unglued. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Look at it. No, stop looking at it. Look at me. Now, I will say again, Jesus is saying, I will say again, my confidence is in you. I'm going to say it again. And I'm not going to back off my position. Why? He says this, listen, the greater glory is that which remains. 
remains what? Remains it come in glory. Much more has that remains come in glory. Because you have this hope, now behave with great boldness. You know how it feels. I know how it feels. I'll admit how it feels when you want to shrink back. I, I know that feeling. We, there's no way we're going to make it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Great boldness. You can't, you can't, if you're thinking about the past or how you're going to affect the future, you have to be in the moment with him, that which remains, right? Behave with great boldness then. And not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. You ever had, like, friends or family, remember you would say, you know, they had their heyday and now they don't? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I didn't really know that much about that, but as you get around people for a while and you're, you're like, man, their glory's kind of diminishing. <laughs> They used to have all this money and stuff, and they could affect change and do things, and now they just seem like they're not getting along that well, or they're losing stuff, and uh, things are not going as well for them. To, something's become more ineffective, and, and when it does, a lot of people begin to hide themselves. They start to uh, draw back from society, limit their exposure, uh, try to protect themselves, things like this, because why? Because the glory is diminishing. The, the thing that had held them up and made them so amazing is no longer making them amazing anymore. It's not to be so among God's people. I don't care if you're two years old or 98 years old. You have this same, the same potentiality sitting with you in the glory that remains. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your social position is, your economic status is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. or it, That doesn't matter. You have the same potentiality with him right now. The glory that was uh, yesterday is ineffective for what? For today. It's the glory that remains. He says, their minds were closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the Old Covenant read. And it has not been removed because only in Christ is it to be taken away. In Christ. Whenever Moses is read, even to this day, it says a veil is over their mind. I, I love this verse. I'm sharing this with my second oldest daughter. Lydia, just hear me out as I close this sermon. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Let this get so deep inside of you. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil comes off. Remember that, Tom? I remember Tom's testimony to me. I, I came over to his house, Tom Gross, to visit. He said, Carol, I got to share with you what happened to me August 19th, April 19th. 
1979, August, I sat up in my bed, and I was in, my head was in the heavens. I bet you if I interview all of you, you have this experience. And if you had it then, you're having it now as well. When one turns to the Lord, you want affliction or affection? <laughs> That's what he said to me. Turn to me. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. A greater glory that remains. I'll stabilize you. I'll heal you. I'll... So where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom and liberty. I'm not yoked with bondage. It's not, it's not my mode. I come out of agreement with everything like that. If it, if it doesn't smack of freedom, then I'll take none of it. I'll take freedom because I was made to be free. He gave me this kind of idea. He's like, turn to me again. Okay. You got back into the, you got back into the, uh, what you could do and what you could make happen and what other people think about you. Stop. You got back into your past when I want you to be present. You got concerned about your future when I said, here I am. I'm the God of the present. Today's the day of salvation. You know what he tells me? He says, if you'll let me see you seeing me over and over and over again, eventually we're going to lock up eyes. And it's never going to stop. You know what I say? That's what I want. Now, I believe that's what you want. That's why you're here. I'm going to lock up eyes with you, Lord. I'm going to lock up my eyes with you and what you think. And I'm going to let you transmit your life onto me. And I'm going to receive this divine nature. And I'm going to be so transformed by it. And so moved. That I'll become just like you. Trinity, the triune Godhead is welcome to the hypostatic union. Carol, what do you mean? When light breathes forth, it's all light, it's all freedom. And light's flushing through, coursing through your body. The eyes of the Lord looking to and fro throughout the earth. Looking for one with loyal love towards him and his you. Lock up for the greatest interchange of the ages when God makes himself one with you. 
full union, no more disconnection, no more sense of exposure, a willingness to be completely, completely His. And in the divine human interchange, freedom, holiness, truth, presence, godliness, boldness. A Teva narrative, one that we don't design or make up on, on our own, not someone else's narrative, but the narrative that you choose to make your life in me and my life in you. Eventually, it, it has to eventuate in this. It has to. The text says it. There's an eventuality of remaining in him. If you're not and you're in and out, the text says it has to be. It has to be. It has to be that there be no consciousness of sin. Why would the text say that if it's not true? It has to be. Because the text says it is. And this is the word of God. So we'll not shrink back. We look at you. We long for you. Glory, glory. I want to have my home with you. I want to set up my house with you. Set up your house with us, Lord. We thought you were coming for a tent, but you carved out a palace, Lord. A place for your glory to dwell. Stephen plays, let's have a communion together. Or we'll take communion together after you come. And everything worships, and everything makes, and nothing escapes your heart. Majesty comes from daughters. 
Jacob came to Bethel, it means the house of God. And later on, he goes on his journey, and he comes back, and he names that same altar El Bethel. Remember this? And El means God. And so he named and changed the name of the place from not just the house of God now, but he found the God of the house of God. And his journey goes on with the Lord. And one day he comes to and fords the river Jabbok to play on words with his name because he's going to have a name change. And he names that place Peniel, which means the face of God. You see what's happening? Jacob had been in the house of God. And then he began to know the God of the house of God. 
then he began to know the face of the God of the house of God. Two weeks ago in this, this pavilion, the Lord tells me to turn to Deuteronomy 32 because he says, I'm hovering over this pavilion. I said, oh, won't you come down then? And I was looking up in Deuteronomy 32, and it talks about the pupil of, of the eye. And I said, oh, no, Lord, this is amazing. You know what's happened to us? We went from the house of God. Many of you, you've been in the house of the Lord. And then you've. He took you on a journey. Some of you had to leave the house of God to get to know the God of the house of God. And then you began to meet the face of the God of the house of God. But when God hovered, when Holy Spirit hovered in Genesis 1-2 and created, when he hovered in Deuteronomy 32, when he hovered over Israel, and he hovers over them, his pupil began to look at them. What? So now we've went from the house of God to the God of the house of God to the face of the God of the house of God to the pupil of the face of the God of the house of God. Mark my words. He's looking at you. The specificity of God has got down into the very eye. I'm looking at you. Now look at me and be changed for all eternity. It's getting very specific. He is. It's getting so particular. You hovering. Help us not to grieve you, Holy Spirit, when you come so close. Maneuver your way. Don't feel like we'll push you away, Lord. Oh, God, help us to be sensitive to your eye. Philip, just show us the Father. If you've seen me, you see what he's saying? If your pupil is locked up with mine, you've seen the Father. He took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
his promised bride and I'm destined to wear white and my chest is full of hope and a dress and veil as snow and he said he come for me he know when I'm ready and my heart is aching for the coming Bye. 